0: Hey, it's Kelly from ZinniMe. Before we start this next episode, I have a quick question for you. How do you feel about being subpoenaed in your private practice? If you have any fear, sense of dread, or worry, you are not alone. Please join us for our upcoming training with Nicole Stoller-Peterson on Mastering Your Subpoena Process in Private Practice. It's going to be an amazing training to help build your confidence, to help you serve your clients better, and to take out the guesswork when it comes to being subpoenaed in your private practice. All you need to do is go to zinimi.com and check out the training there. You will also get a recording if you sign up. We can't wait to see you there.
1: Welcome to the Starting Accounting Practice Podcast. Miranda here, one of the coaches at Me, And we're continuing our series on websites for therapists where we're gonna dive in with real private practice owners from across the United States, maybe around the world. I'm not sure if we have an international guest as of yet um, talking about what does and doesn't work in building a website for your private practice. They're gonna be sharing some of the mistakes that they have made. Um, some of the wins that they've had and their advice to you in creating a website that really works for your private practice. I feel really honored to have Robin Frannon here today um, sharing her story of her website for her group practice. Robin, will you share where you are at and a little bit about your practice to orient our people and your web address?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my practice is Better Together Family Therapy. We're a group practice in Kensington, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, DC. And we treat children, families, couples, and adults with anxiety, autism, and ADHD. Our um, URL for our website is betterfamilytherapy.com. So the practice is Better Together Family Therapy, but that was a little long. So the website is (laughs) betterfamilytherapy.com.
1: And I'm so glad we will start this right from the top, your business name and your URL do not have to match, especially if your business name is super long, y'all like make it easy (laughs) for people and make it easy for yourself, especially because you're going to be spelling your URL over the phone for years to come. Like it's a big deal. And you know, you don't mm. want to be saying Miranda at Z is in Zebra, Y is in yellow, N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy. <laughs> this is uh, Zinnyme.com super cute, but n- not not recommended.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, we really don't think about that. And actually, you know, one of the things that I realized in the process of naming the business and picking a URL was that if the URL was too long, our email addresses wouldn't fit on a business card. Or they would be on multiple lines on a yeah. business card, so that was huge. Just making sure that the URL was short enough that people wouldn't get exhausted typing it, and it would fit on the business card. Yeah, and I think one of the other little pieces that you did um,
1: kind of, I don't know, sneak into. Was it purposeful that you have keywords
2: in your in your URL or in the name of your business? You know, that's a good question. I. It, Sort of. It was sort of purposeful. I had gone to a training like several years before I had a private practice from someone who talked about making sure that there were search keywords in the URL, but I was not, and maybe still I'm not, very good at SEO. And so I didn't actually do any research around keywords. I just wanted to be easily found for what we were doing. And so having family therapy in the title was more about clarity when people saw the name Yeah. than it was about SEO per se. I definitely have some friends and colleagues in the area who were extremely smart around that. I had a subletter in my office who named her practice Kensington Couple and Family Therapy. Why did I not do that? (laughs) 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 That was really searchable. Or I have another (laughs) friend who named her practice the name of the county that we're in, Counseling Center. Yeah. And so people search it constantly. She was instantly full. She's got 10 clinicians and she's only been in business for two years. Like, yeah, mine, mine was Counseling Modesto. Like
1: it was like, (laughs) here's the, here's the thing. It was CounselingModesto.com. The name of my business was Counseling Modesto, but it really was my name all over it, but it was to connect in with that. And I think Mm -hmm. this is just as a little side note before we dive deeper into the, into websites, because A part of websites is them being findable. Mm -hmm. And we think of SEO or search engine optimization as this like magical, weird thing that like techie people do. Instead of thinking about search engine optimization as being something that's related to, is what I'm doing really clear to people that would be searching for it, right? Is it really clear? Is it clear to Google so that Google can be clear to the people searching so that when they type this in, that they're happy that they got your website. Like it's really about clarity more than it is about some magical, technical, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Technical, magical, like, I can't think of the like word. formula or algorithm. Yes, yes, it doesn't have to be that complex. But I think also as as therapists, and a lot of us are really creative, we love the idea of like, oh, I want there to be meaning behind the name of my business. I want to create this brand, this like magical thing that no one else has heard of. And that like when they just hear the name, they're like transformed into the experience of it. Um, and then we realize people are just like, what does the name mean? I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. So I love that even in the midst, but there wasn't all of the research, but there was clarity of like, I want people to know when they see what we do, like see the name that they understand what we do. I love that. So when did you start
2: your private practice? Ooh, what year? Um, I started in January of 2015, um, but intentionally very, very part-time. Mm -hmm. So I rented a full-time office because I love creative control. (laughs) I wanted to be able to, to put all the stuff that I wanted in the office and give it the feel that I wanted it to have. Um, So I rented a full-time office, but I was only seeing six clients a week.
1: And what, what, where did you build your, when and where did you build your website initially?
2: So I built my website initially in that phase. Um, I had just a basic WordPress site. Mm -hmm. And my goal on that WordPress site was to blog maybe once every couple of months, you know, just Mm -hmm. enough to stay a little bit visible. Um, I didn't still didn't know much about SEO, wasn't really tracking anything, but was just trying to throw some content onto a page so that it was clear that I was a legitimate business if people Mm -hmm. were, you know, linking to it from Psychology Today or looking for something else. Um, But it was a very, very basic website, like an info page and a blog. And that was pretty much it. Awesome.
1: And how did that serve you initially with your small part-time practice?
2: <laughs> not, um, not being able to really look at the SEO part at that stage. I'm not clear on how it served me or didn't serve <laughs> me, if I'm really honest. Um, I don't think that the website was doing much for me. I think I was getting most of my referrals from a couple of presentations that I was doing or connections that I was making Mm -hmm. with other therapists out in the community. So I'm not sure my website was really working for me, but when I look back at it now with the knowledge that I have now, Mm -hmm. it was actually performing better from an SEO standpoint Mm -hmm. than the website that I switched to from it. (laughs) So where did you switch to next? So I um, fell for brighter vision and (laughs) jumped on that bandwagon. I had a colleague that had had a really good experience um, Mm -hmm. and referrals were rolling in for her and she was just starting a small group practice. I was still just me, but was looking to expand to full time and so um, I signed on with Brighter Vision and had them redesign my site. And I'm, you know me, so you know I'm pretty opinionated about how I want things to be. Yeah, <laughs> I really want them to be my way and reflect me, right? I like the full time office space. I want it to look like I want it to look. Yeah. And so I gave Brighter Vision a lot of guidance, um, and they mainly used the content I already had on my WordPress site. Um, and I just wasn't in love with the site ever. Uh-huh. Um, I got fewer calls based on that website than I did based on what I had had before. And I was constantly having to battle with them, um, around customer service pieces because uh-huh. I would send them my newsletter for them to post on the website and they would post it with a typo in the URL, so it didn't work, or they would, they would do all kinds of things that I then had to clean up after later, Mm -hmm. or they would post my, my um, newsletters as like May, 2020, July, 2020, June, 2020, like what? Just basic mistakes like that, that made it look like I wasn't on top of things. And Mm -hmm. I didn't appreciate that. And I didn't feel like I was really getting what I was paying for. Um, and so then ultimately, I just kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, we're going to scrap this plan. Mm-hmm. Let's pause and,
1: for a second. Yeah. Let's pause for a second. Because I think this is a this is a common, common issue, right? In terms of outsourcing our websites to other people, um, <clears throat> that there is a lot of variability in terms of customer service and in terms of response based on where you're located, based on when you signed up, right? So Brighter Vision um, initially was this very small organization. They really dove in. They would do keyword analysis. They really did a lot in terms of the SEO. There were people like we've interviewed them on this podcast, you know, years ago. And then as they grew, some of their their services kind of changed and shifted. Their customer support shifted. Now they've actually been purchased by someone else. And now their customer service is kind of ramping back up. But it's this over time, sometimes we, and it's frustrating because we feel like we've done our due diligence. I bet you felt like I did my due diligence. I really thought I was making a good decision. I thought I was outsourcing and making this easy on myself. And then you're like, I just created more work. And like, it's, (laughs) it can be really frustrating when we make a misstep that's not based on, like, I don't think you did anything wrong by like taking a referral from someone else and you probably doing your research and going, oh, this has great, you know, information, like all of the pieces. And then you obviously also learn something about yourself too <laughs> <laughs> along the process of like, no, I really. Like I would rather have more control and having a a place that's that large where like I'm not in control of what's happening with the customer service and I'm not in control of what's happening with support tickets, like does not work for me. And it stressed me out and I was paying more money. You know, you're paying three or four times what you pay now, you know, doing your own website to have, to fight with people. That's not fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So what year was that, that you decided to move away from Brighter Vision?
2: Ooh. um, I think that was spring of 2019 that I made that switch. Um, And so started designing the next version of the website, Um, signed on with a designer who I really liked and who really listened Mm. to what I wanted, right. And created some graphics that that felt like me and and all of that sort of thing. Um, And so it felt like a conversation and a collaboration. And I just was learning the technical side of it as we went, right? Mm -hmm. She was kind of mentoring me in pieces of what she was doing. And so that felt really, really good. And Mm -hmm. so we started that in spring of 2019 and launched the new site in August of 2019.
1: Okay. And is that one, was that one on WordPress still, or did you move to another platform? It moved to
2: Squarespace. The designer worked on Squarespace. You guys are big fans of Squarespace. We are. It's true. I also did have a colleague who had been hacked on WordPress. And so ultimately I made the leap over to Squarespace.
1: And just for, for those of you who are listening, there are a couple of things that I I will just throw out there and like a little plug for, for Squarespace or a plug against WordPress. Uh, one being there, there are a lot of like updates and security that need to be taken care of. That's one of the things I do like about Brighter Vision is that they, they do work on making sure that your website is secure and taken care of. And if your website gets hacked, they have to deal with it. You don't have to deal with it. That's a lovely thing, right? Yeah. At the same time, um, there's like a whole nother process you have to go through to just even see how many people are viewing your site or to see what's happening with your search keywords and all of these other things that you often have to pay another fee um, to writer vision um, in order to just see what's happening with your website and whether it's working. And in Squarespace, like they just don't get hacked. I mean, unless you give someone your password, don't do that. But um, <laughs> as long as you don't get someone your password, they just, they just don't get hacked in the same way that WordPress does. Um, And then you can see all of your data and you can see what people are searching for and where they're spending their time on your website. Like from the very beginning, you have full access and, and real control and knowledge to inform your decisions.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: So what are the things that you, and when you transitioned over to Squarespace, what things did you notice for you as a business owner in that new version of the website?
2: Um, at first there was definitely a learning curve. Mm. I, I did find blogging a little bit easier in WordPress. I could move things around on the page more easily. I will say that's changed in Squarespace in the time that I've been with Squarespace. Mm-hmm. So the way that things are formatted, you can now drag and drop things in a Squarespace blog. You couldn't do that before. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely are, are features that have made that better or easier now, but it it was just a learning curve, just understanding how this system is put together and all these other pieces that I didn't really have. You know, there are tabs that I didn't have in WordPress. I don't know that I could have added a contributor in WordPress or Mm -hmm. um, looked at SEO. It's interesting. I can look at my SEO through Squarespace, but I can also look at it through Google Analytics. It's not always the same. Yeah, That's a true statement. There's (laughs) some weird stuff in terms of data. That's a true statement. It gives me two places to look. If I can't quite find what I'm looking for in Google Analytics, I might be able to find it in Squarespace Analytics or vice versa.
1: Yeah. That is one of the things too, is that Google Analytics is its own kind of beast in terms of getting that all set up in a way that's really impactful um, and looking at that. And um, that sometimes can stop people from getting any data. And so I love that there is just this, like, there's, sounds terrible to say, there's no excuse for not having data for your website if you're on Squarespace, because I know I can get into your website and I can see how many people are clicking and what they're searching on at at any time without even having access to your Google Analytics. And it takes me about two minutes to get some actionable information um, about like, hey, here's the next step. Here's, Here's what I would do in this particular case.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's also a place to go to see um, if things aren't working in, this, in uh, Squarespace Analytics. Like in the transition to launching my current website, the designer I was working with had a medical emergency and just mm. unavailable in the moment that the site was going live. And so any little quirks that happened, I had to figure it out. <laughs> And my hand holder was gone. And so um, that was a real challenge. That was a scary moment, but it certainly means I have a deeper understanding of my website now. And one of the things that happened in that transition was that Google Analytics stopped working. The code wasn't where it needed to be on the page, Mm -hmm. but I could see that because I could see Google Analytics and I could see Squarespace (laughs) Analytics and things weren't lining up. So being able to see both of those really helped me troubleshoot and figure out that something was wrong.
1: Yeah. How now you talked about when initially you you built your website for your individual practice Um, at the certain point, you transitioned to group practice. How has your website impacted your group practice?
2: Ooh, um, I think the website has been a really nice place to feature the clinicians in the group practice so that, you know, when people are calling, of course, they want to work with me because still more than anything else, what's getting searched is my name. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People are looking for me and they're finding my practice. And so, you know, people call and they want to work with me. But when I have a really nice feature on the website from each of my clinicians. And I can say, you know, here's her bio and here's a blog that she wrote. And here's a little video interview that I did with her. I don't have those up right now because I just hired new people. So I need to (laughs) update that in the moment. But um, when I can point to all those things, it helps people buy in to the competence of the other clinician that they haven't spoken to on the phone. And I think that'll be even more important when I take the next step and hire an intake coordinator and it's not me yeah, on the yeah. phone. So I'm not saying, you know, this person is great at this and great at that, that intake mm-hmm. coordinator is not going to have that depth of knowledge, at least <laughs> not right away. Um, well, but, and-
1: or that intake coordinator is going to be watching those videos too. Right. I'm right? <laughs> watching those blogs and maybe even having a, a meet and greet with, with, each of the therapists, Oh yeah, definitely. They can do that as well. What I like about intake coordinators <clears throat> too in terms of website referrals is the, the person's definitely not going to feel connected to, oh, I want to work with this intake coordinator because that's not what they do.
0: Right.
2: So it
1: actually <laughs> it actually almost gives them like a cool third party thing to be able to say like, oh, based on what you're saying, like, I think you'd really like this person. They're great. They're like this and go watch this video. Um, if, and again, if they're really good as an intake coordinator, they'll be able to like, have that kind of like friend energy of like, I got you, I am giving you the inside scoop. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you have had some ups and downs with your group practice, Mm -hmm. right? Super ups, (laughs) super downs. (laughs) How has your website, um, grown, shifted, changed, and supported those ups and downs through your group practice? Ooh.
2: Um, you know, I think each time I write a bio for a new clinician, I get a little better at it. So <laughs> mm-hmm. my website content is getting better and better. I'm getting more and more consistent in my keywords and things like that as I do those things over and over again. So that's part of it. The ups and downs have sort of driven growth in the website yeah. in that way they've also sort of helped me keep a public image while things were a little bit rocky behind the scenes you know i didn't take down the content from my previous team until my new team was on board mm-hmm. and so you know just being able to kind of give that appearance of yeah we're here we're just full mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of uh yeah there's nobody here anymore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> build from scratch. Um, So, you know, I don't think that happens to many people. And I think it was just a coincidence that it happened to me, but there's, Mm -hmm. there's sort of a parallel process there where I feel like each version of the website has done something for me and, and has made me better at something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as I go forward and change the website and grow the website, it gets better and better and better at the same time. I've learned some acceptance for the quality of website that I have in the moment, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. If something is up there and functioning, I know already that changing it is going to be part of the process, Yeah, that I'm going to keep doing that. And so if I don't have a perfect specialty page up there, I have a specialty page up there and maybe it speaks to somebody and I can go back and make the language better over time. Right. And I think that was part of what made me jump into brighter vision in the first place is that I, I was intimidated by writing that quantity of content. Mm. I didn't want to have to write the copy for every page. Um, and then ultimately I wrote the copy for every page anyway. Yeah. So it was that, that had me scared, like wanting to get it just right on every page made me want to outsource the whole thing. Yeah, But then when I can take a step back and take it page by page, it's okay, I can continuously revise and make it better and better and better. And I feel the same way about my team, you know, I'm on my third team of clinicians right now my first team was independent contractors, I transitioned to employees um, and Got a whole new team in that process and then that team you know moved on to the next steps in their careers one opened their own practice one went back to grad school in a different specialty Mm -hmm. um, and two decided that they were going to work with a different population and they all just (laughs) wandered off to other places at once yeah and so you know that that phase ended Mm -hmm. but that was also my first round of working with employees yeah. And so now I have more clarity, I have more clarity on what I want my marketing message to be for everybody, what I want the common thread to be across everybody, even, you know, when I'm hiring yes. so that no matter who I assign a particular case to, they feel like they've gotten what they came for. It's not like an offshoot of what they came for, right? Yes. Like, I don't know. It all works together. Yeah, The messaging on the website and the messaging in my head, like the vision yeah. in my head, all fits together to kind of tell the community what the practice is, mm-hmm. but it also, it tells my staff what the practice is too. Yeah, They can go back and read my blog and go, oh yeah, we're approaching it this way. Mm-hmm.
1: And how has your, um, your website impacted your ability to fill new clinicians?
2: Ooh. Um, I'm actually not sure. That's one of the questions I'm not asking in, (laughs) in my uh, clinician outcomes interviews that I'm doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't actually know. I think, I I think it's that same marketing piece that it just gives a clear impression that there's something that there's wisdom here to be had. Mm -hmm. And so people see that. And, and I do think clinicians come to work here because they want to work with me. And so they see my voice in the website and connect to that and relate to that and, and want to be a little bit like that themselves. And so, yeah, I I do think it serves that function. It it has attracted clinicians. What about
1: filling up those new clinicians?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Filling up the new clinicians has been amazing. I mean, seriously, right now I have one clinician that started, uh, eight weeks ago, one clinician that started three weeks ago, and one clinician that started four weeks ago, and we have one opening. Yeah, right. Um, Those clinicians are really close to full, really close to full. And that's happening in part because we're collecting information through the website When we don't have openings, without me having to call people, and this is another one that I fought, kicking and screaming, I want to call all the people, I want to help all the people personally. Yeah, that became overwhelming. With a group practice, there was no way I could make that many phone calls. No way. I have a traditional
1: waiting list where, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a consultation with each person figure out if they're appropriate. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to put them on the waiting list. Then when we have an opening, I'm going to call them, see if the schedule still works. If they found a therapist, wait for them to call back and do (laughs) this whole
2: scenario. Right. And that can take weeks because it takes days for somebody to call you back and you're not wanting to put somebody else in the spot while you're waiting for that. Yeah. So I realized quickly that that wasn't working. I hesitated to change it. But then when I did change it, what I did was divert all of our appointment request forms to newsletter sign up and just say, mm-hmm. we post our openings to the newsletter. And so that's what we did. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we had a conversation about this, that clinician that started at the beginning of January, when I posted her openings to the newsletter, we hadn't been accepting new clients since August. Mm-hmm. So all fall, things had just been <laughs> like opening up. Yeah, had just been growing on the newsletter Mm -hmm. list. And so then we posted her openings. She had 20 spots to fill. 16 of them were full in like an hour and a half. It was really, I had so many people to call back in that first week so quickly. Yeah. So that was pretty amazing. It wasn't quite that lightning fast when I added two more clinicians three weeks later, but that's completely understandable. Yes. But right. it was still
1: fast. It was, like, oh, it was we're still, still fast. We're still, still, still fast. fast. We're still like
2: the end of February yes. or the, not quite the end of February with one slot for three new people. No, it it I, was still very fast, but it wasn't like refresh the screen and find five new requests. <laughs> You're like, what is happening? I think something went wrong. Did I let me go read the newsletter? Did I say it wrong? Like maybe I gave the wrong link. Like am I getting yeah. hacked? <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot, but you know, in a good way. What a great problem to have, right? To just be inundated with referrals like that. And I think the website actually plays a really huge role, not just in pointing people toward the newsletter signup, but also the SEO in the website really started to function probably about five months after the website went live. And that was what the designer had told me to expect as well. Like you launch a new website, it takes a little time for Google to figure out that it really is doing what it says it's doing and all of that. And so probably about five months after the website launched, I really started getting calls from people who were saying, we found you on Google. Yeah, And I wasn't getting that before. I was getting, we Googled you because someone told us about you, but not, we found you on Google. And definitely, I think now at least half, maybe two thirds of our referrals are, we found you on Google. Yeah.
1: And I think this is the piece. I think sometimes often when we think about outsourcing to a web designer, we think they're going to write the content. They're going to make it findable on, on (laughs) Google. Right. And they're going to make it look pretty. And, some, the- some designers only do one of those things. Some of them just give you a functioning, maybe not. Okay, we're going to say a fourth one and a functioning website. Some <laughs> designers literally only give you a functioning website that's not pretty. Some give you a functioning website that's pretty. Some give you a pretty website that's not particularly functional. <laughs> some give you, um, some will help write content for you. Sometimes that's really good content that's really impactful. And sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes it's content that is going to um, not help you be findable and not convert clients. Like the amount of times we've had business schoolers who said, Hey, you know, I just, I got really overwhelmed with like writing the content. So I went ahead and I hired a copywriter. You know, I paid them $500, $1,000. Will you look over this copy they wrote? And we're just like, Oh, my heart is hurting right now mm-hmm. for the copy that they got back. Of like, oh, this is that. I'm like, what do you think about the copy? Well, I don't know. I mean, they said it's the right kind of copy. I'm like, would you go to this therapist? No. Well, there you go, you know? So, so that part. And then, of course, the SEO. Um, I've seen so many websites that were built and just, basic stuff that should be a part of building the website of just putting information or even copying the SEO from the previous website to the new one that just didn't (laughs) get done. Like just copy the meta tags or copy this, the the descriptions and they just didn't do it. And you're just like scratching your head going like, why? So I think this is the piece and it's something I wanted to, and I'm so glad that you agreed to come on and share your, your website story. Um, Because I think understanding and hearing those stories helps us to have a better ear um, for like listening um and also to ask better questions about like what does this really include it's not because like, our vision of build a website is i'm going to have a website on the first page of google it's going to be beautiful and everyone's going to love it i'm never gonna have to touch it again <laughs> and that's not
2: accurate yeah robin no, I mean, we're therapists, we're about change. How are we not going to touch something again? <laughs> right. That's not going to happen. I love that breakdown of like the four or five things that a web designer can give you and thinking about, you know, which of those I got and and didn't get, right? And of course, the timing of my situation was different just because of what happened with the designer in the moment. Yeah. And so I think I probably would have gotten pretty close to all of that if... Yeah if not for that crisis yes. end, but I think, you know, I got a really pretty website and I probably got 80% of each of the other things too. Yeah. Like most of the SEO was in place enough of it that the website was showing up reliably five months yes. without me having fully understood how to make that happen. And, right? <laughs> and did you,
1: did you ask that when you were hiring the designer, did you talk about SEO and findability? Definitely. Yes. So you knew yeah. after your Brighter Vision experience that you need to advocate for yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. And again, definitely gonna, knew that. Brighter Vision, you thought you're going to get all five of those, right? And at the yeah. time.
2: Yeah, I definitely uh, I definitely didn't. Brighter Vision would say I got all five of those. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, but the phone was not ringing. But the phone was not ringing. The phone was really not ringing. So yeah, <laughs> I could tell that I wasn't getting all five of those. Um, Yeah, yeah. and I think, you know, I'm still going in and making things better and better. We had the conversation this week about um, realizing that we were converting for child therapy and teen therapy and not adult therapy. And what's different about the adult therapy page? What's different is I hadn't rewritten the copy that the designer had written on the adult therapy page. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so we'll see what happens now that I've gone in and, and touched that up. But certainly, I mean, that gave me an adult therapy page sitting there that people could go to, that people could request an appointment from. And some people did um, in that interim before I went in and made it exactly what I wanted it to be. So yeah. that placeholder was so worth it. And it certainly had keywords in it. Yes. It just wasn't written the way it wasn't written in my voice. Yeah. It wasn't written the way I wanted it to be.
1: In a way that people were like, oh, I need to work with these therapists. they Right.
2: It wasn't, it wasn't really an authentic transformation proposition.
1: Right. Where'd you learn that fancy phrase there,
2: Robin? I don't know. <laughs> There's so much terminology I've gotten from you all. Robin <laughs> is one of I'm our. designer was somebody that I met through you all too, <laughs>
1: Robin is a business schooler. If you had not figured that out as of yet.
2: (laughs) I am am all the way in with both feet.
1: (laughs) What um, advice would you give to someone else who is where you were kind of in that place of trying to navigate all of that and figuring out like, how do I do this? Like, you know, like, when you think about the place where you were the most frustrated, give advice to that version of you.
2: Ooh. I mean advice, piece of advice number 1 is good enough is good enough. Good enough is good enough. Yeah. I never take that advice from myself but good enough is good enough. <laughs> It just it is having something up there, having something functioning is better than nothing. Throwing some keywords at the wall to see if they stick. Is better than not using keywords at all. Yeah. Right. Um, so definitely good enough is good enough. Um, and I think I would say try something and track it, try something and track it, try something and track it because yeah, <laughs> I know data, that would be data, data, data. I love data, but um, you know, if You go to 10 trainings on SEO, you're going to have no idea what to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally guilty of that. I go to all these trainings and I hear all these pieces. And so then I want to incorporate everything. And it would, you know, take an SEO retreat for a week to incorporate all of that into the website. It would. I don't have time for that. Yeah. So go to a training, learn something, just one thing. And do that one thing and see if it changes anything, Yeah. right? Does the phone ring more? Do your Squarespace analytics or your Google analytics look different than they did before? But, you know, try something and track it and then try something else and track yeah.
1: it. You can add things over time. It's something we love to, to teach people of like, let's set a good foundation for your website, but when you're blogging, like we give you like the first like six blogs in an outline format where there's some SEO baked in. Where we're like, just fill out this little like questionnaire basically, and we'll just build a blog for you. And you don't have to think about the keywords at the same, same level. And then over time you can get fancier with it, have better images, have better categorization or tags or other things if you really need to do that. But most therapists, you don't have to be an SEO expert by any means to get to the first page of Google and be more than full with a wait list. Like you don't need it. You just need enough to get to that next level. And as you grow, if you decide to expand into a group practice like Robin, um, then you'll have, you can create a little bit more time and space to kind of dive in a little deeper, tweak things on your website, figure
2: out the flow of what really works and what's sustainable. Yeah, definitely. And you may not even need to be on the first page of Google I mean, that's the ultimate goal, but I'm not on the first page of Google for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Except for my own name. My own name. I'm on the first page of Google. I'm not on the first page of Google for anything, but Google has gotten so much smarter and is doing such a good job of tracking where people are searching from Yeah. that I'm showing up for people that are in the local area, even though I'm not on the first page of Google in general. Yeah. Right. So I, they need a tool that you can go in and see if I was searching, standing in this exact spot, what would I get? And I wasn't me because when I search, of course I automatically get my website because I've visited it so many times. Yeah. Right. Sometimes
1: you can do it in an incognito window, but I've even found over time, I'm like, I feel like Google knows it's me still like somehow like,
2: yeah, it definitely knows I've interacted with that site a lot somehow it knows my device or it knows whatever somehow
1: now when I search if it's a part of like my search thing it actually shows up my search ranking and says hey your search has your search ranking has improved you're now at this point you've gotten this many clicks right there inside of my google search I know I do that that's pretty cool (laughs) I think I don't know if it's because I use Chrome and that's connected in with my Google Analytics account um, through that email address. I'm not really sure when, where, how it started, but yeah, I there's a particular that phrase that I'm working on right now um, for the for the SEO purposes, and I can see that yeah. it's like the numbers. It's it's funny, and it actually has like green arrows, like if it's better, or red if it's worse. So for um, for SEO, if like the number of where you rank, it gets, when it gets smaller, that's better. So one to 10 is on the first page of Google, 11 to, you know, 19 or 20, whatever is on the second page of Google. And so as the, so it'll say like, oh, this number went down, but it's green because down is good. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) These weird things that like make our brain like, up is good right like no down is good what are
2: you talking about google but they're trying to make it easy on me Uh, and that's the level you can look at if everything else is also running smoothly right but if you start trying to figure out how to read that while you're also still your basic copy like it's too much no i would do it's too much don't do that no don't do that and i think too like the other
1: piece too like sometimes we're so focused on seo but we don't have clarity on who we want to work with. Our marketing message just says, you know, has like three rocks and is like, hi, I do every type of therapy for every type of problem. And it's like, there's nothing really engaging and there's no picture of us. It's not going to do a lot for us. So create a solid space for people. You know, I like to think of it like, even like you're, in the, in the olden days, right? When someone's starting to practice, the first thing they often did was start designing their office space. What kind of couch, what kind of art do I want on the wall? Like that was kind of like, what do I want that to look like visually? Um, and then kind of over time that, that would shift. And now it's like, oh, what do I want this website to look like visually? How do I want this to like really welcome people in? And create this space because that's really the first
2: space where someone's going to interact with you. It's not your office. It is your website. That's really interesting that you say that because that was one of the things that I said to the web designers. I want my website to feel like you're in my office. Yeah. Right. So like, if you look at the color scheme on my website and you look at where I am, it's the same, Yeah. Right. And and I wanted that. I wanted that synergy of like you know let's let's make it fun so that it feels like you're in this playful space that we have, Mm -hmm. so that when you're looking at the website, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Like if that resonates with you, then you're going to be really excited to walk in here and work in here. So I. Yeah. So much. I love it. love it. Can I give you one more little piece of advice for yes. people who are like just launching their website? This yes. is something that I said to myself all the time, and it may not be the, the um, I don't know, the, the cleanest way to say this, but I kept reminding myself when I was building the website for the first time and the SEO was terrible and all of that, that I could put things up and nobody was going to see it. <laughs> Because when you're in that stage of starting from scratch and everything's a mess, no one is finding your website. So it's up there. We tell this to people in business school all the time. We're like until you get it working, nobody's gonna see it. So write that blog,
1: nobody's gonna see it. Just just publish it for right now. It's gonna take a couple months for Google to get get you into the into the mix. Like let's just get it out there and progress, not perfection. Let's just do that one page website. And then we'll add in another page and we'll add another page over time because over, you know, 2015 to now 2020, right? The seven years of iterations and shifts, just like your office and your play therapy toys have gone through things and you've added and subtracted and all those kinds of things. There's a lot that happens, um, over the life of your business. So Robin, thank you for coming in and sharing all of the nitty gritty and the ups and downs of websites for therapists. I am so delighted if you know someone who needs some help
2: in Kensington, Maryland. Did I do that right? Yep. Kensington, like Kensington Palace. Yes.
1: I don't even know that, but I would like, I'm such a funny with, I get nervous that I'm going to give cities and states wrong, but I feel like I've been in your website. It's a tiny
2: place. Nobody knows what it is. It's a tiny place. It's in between Bethesda and Silver Spring, Maryland. But I've done so
1: many keyword searches and so much SEO analysis and like looking in the back end of your website, that there is a part of it that's in there. One of the fun things we get to do with our our clients and business schoolers um, digging into that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, if you are here and listening, I'm wondering whether you can create a practice and a website that really fits for your solo group practice. You can do this. We have a free website checklist. It'll be in the podcast show notes. You can get those at me.com or wherever you are listening to this lovely podcast on whatever your podcast streaming is. If you'd like this episode and the series, rate us, review us. Let us know if you hate it, make it about me, not Robin. Cause Robin's lovely. Um, <laughs> is lovely too. <laughs> uh, but until next time, check it out. And if you want help uh, growing, launching, revamping, or scaling your solo group practice, we're here for you with Business School for Therapists. Until next time, y'all.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. Just a reminder, if you want some support in your private practice, we have an upcoming free training on creating a subpoena process. So check it out at zinimi.com, and we'll see you next time.